Well, good morning and welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay, quick show of hands. Who actually made it all the way to the very end of the game? Oh my gosh, all right, Woo! good job. Okay, same amount of honesty, a little bit less honor is going to be with this hand raise, but I'm just going to trust you. How many of us left before the game actually started? All right, yeah, there you go, hey. <laughs> We appreciate your honesty, and hey, you weren't struck by lightning, so mission accomplished. Uh, We're very proud of you. Thank you so much. Uh, We are so glad that none of you uh, were struck, or at least as far as I know. We're so glad that you guys are here. So glad we whooped them people by 70 points. I don't know what their mascot was. What was their mascot? Cardinals. Oh, well, that's why. (laughs) Cardinals are chumps. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm our college teaching director here at our uh, Anderson Grace College uh, campus. Uh, so excited that you're here with us. Just to give you a heads up, we also have a 7 p.m. service uh, that occurs in this room uh, just at 7 o'clock. You know, give it another eight hours, and we're going to be here again. Same kind of deal, same message, same uh, worship, like same experience. It's a little bit more chill, a little bit more laid back. Uh, everything's a little bit darker, you know, so it's like, oh cool, right? Like, I don't know, but it's good. I love it. It's one of my favorite things that we do across all the things that we do. Uh, One of my favorite things we do is our seven o'clock service. So if you have any interest in being there, if you want to get some better parking next time, 7 p.m. is your friend. Uh, Like I said, my name is Jacob Smith. I have a wife. Her name is Susan Smith, uh, and she's incredible, and she has a life form inside of her. And so that life form will be appearing in December. Uh, You can sign up to babysit now. Uh, I will be accepting all applications. That'd be great. Because the first thing you do when you get a baby is you want to let someone else take care of it. So um, just let me know if you have any interest in that. Uh, Just show of hands, you know, I introduced myself just in case there were some new people. I'm just curious for my own personal benefit. How many of us, this is your first time to be here at Grace, like just in general? Okay, wow. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm glad I introduced myself so that you're not like, who was that woman that he was talking to? with the basketball in her dress, all right? So, so glad you're here this morning. So glad you survived the evening. Uh, So glad that you are here, that you are here at the church. So glad that you're here this morning with some sort of goal in mind, right? We're we're all here, sitting here right now because there's some sort of purpose that we think that we have, right? There's some reason that we're sitting in these chairs. There's some reason that we drove up here and walked and woke up early after the late game. Like, there's some reason that you're here. And my question, my hope this morning is that we're going to find out, man, what is that reason? What is that purpose? Why does church exist? Why does this time happen? But to understand the purpose of the church, we have to take a step back and we have to look at one of the greatest children's book series of all time. It started in 1985 and it was called the Childhood Hurts series. Okay? Now this Childhood Hurts series was started by two women by the names of Doris Sanford and Gracie Evans. And these women started out with an incredible goal, a very admirable, noble purpose. They started off the series with the goal of helping children cope with difficult life circumstances. And so they had books like It Must Hurt a Lot. It's a child's book about death. So how does a child deal with death, right, in the family? That's a good goal. There's a book about uh, Don't Look at Me. It's like, it's about, hey, what does it look like when when you're different? How do you feel uh, when you're different from your friends? Like, how do you cope with that? How do you cope with people offering you drugs, right? So kind of, you know, I can say no. I can. 
say no, right? So we've got this idea, these good, admirable goals, right? This really good purpose of these books. But at some point, okay, about five years, about right around 1990, or sorry, 1989, uh, Gracie and Doris, they either ran out of uh, difficult life circumstances, uh, or maybe they could not say no themselves because the books took a very strange turn. And they started putting out things like My Friend the Enemy, which is about what happens if you're a kid in an enemy concentration prisoner of war camp. Okay, right? So we're getting a little bit less... A little bit less like down the street problem, right? This is a little bit more obscure. Uh, Then we had books like Don't Make Me Go Back, Mommy. What is this about? Well, just to give you a heads up, the mom is talking to the doctor. She says, hey, my child, my daughter, she's been having terrible nightmares. She won't eat some foods. She's become upset when I ask her to wear certain clothes. Something is wrong. She even bit the dog this week. Look at her now, pretending to be dead. I think something bad has happened to her at that daycare center. What could be happening at that daycare center? Maybe satanic rituals? <laughs> Maybe her leaders tell her that nothing happens in the circle can be told outside the circle. There's no way out because there's no end. <laughs> her daycare center turns out to be a satanic cult, which means that she gets home and suddenly she's not eating that chicken. Is she sick? And she acts afraid. She doesn't, she's afraid of her sixth birthday. And we see her sitting at this table with the eyes that only tell us, you're next, right? <laughs> Look at that face. <laughs> I can't even, I still can't even, I've been looking at this like all week and I still can't process what's happening in this book where Doris and Gracie at some point decided, you know what we need a book about? What if your daycare center was a satanic cult in disguise? Because they had this purpose, right? They start off with, we're going to help people. We're going to help them kind of cope. But at some point, we've got to admit, they lost sight of that purpose, right? At some point, they started to diverge. They strayed. And as the further they strayed from the purpose, the weirder things got, right? The weirder things got. Because they strayed from their purpose. And the reality is that all of us have a purpose. If you are a Christian, then you have been given a purpose by God. But how often do we stray from that purpose? Last week we talked about the new beginning and the new end that God has given all believers. The fact that he calls you to faith in Christ, that is your beginning, that he chose you before the foundation of the world. That you have a new end to set your sights on someone else you can share that gospel with. Someone else you can help begin a new beginning. That was our purpose. But how often do we do that? How often do we stray? And as we stray as individuals from that purpose, I'm going to tell you, when we're in groups together, we're in community at a church, those churches will also lose their purpose. If the individuals of that church are straying, then that church as a whole will stray. That's why we look out at our world and we see churches that have lost their true purpose. They've lost it. Some churches then decide, okay, well, we need to find a new one. And they make their purpose something like pushing certain theological viewpoints. That's their purpose. And that's what they're going to do week in, week out. Some churches say, no, we're going to raise a certain amount of money for certain causes. That's our purpose. And so we're going to push that week in and week out. Some churches get caught up in purposes that lead to scandals that people look at and they're like, oh, and that scares them. And they get caught up in these scandals. It kind of falls apart. And then other churches make their purpose to publicly denounce that church, to just tear them down and crucify them in front of the world. Because how dare they sin? 
How dare they sin? When we look out, we see churches that are arguing and fighting and splitting and dying because they've lost their purpose. They've lost it. So what do we do? When we see this happening in our culture, when we see this happening in our world, what do we do? The truth is we have all seen or been in one of those churches. Maybe we've gotten burned. We've got a buddy or a classmate or a roommate who got burned, and now they don't even want to go to church anymore. So what do we do? The beauty is that we have a God who loves to restore things. We have a God who loves to move into brokenness and bring restoration and renewal. He loves to move into something that is broken and create something new in its place. We have a God who loves to move into those things and provides not only a new beginning and end purpose for his people, he moves in and he provides a new beginning and an end, a new purpose for his church, for his community of people. This whole semester, we're talking about this restoration that God brings specifically into our relationships. This whole semester, we're going to be walking through the Song of Songs, a book that's all about relationships and how God moves into relationships and restores them in the midst of their brokenness. And it's not going to be a how-to-date series, right? You have a card in, that was on your seat that tells you kind of what we're doing all semester, lays it out for you. And it's not going to be a how-to-date series. Our goal is not to have great relationships, It's not a how to date. It's a how do we glorify God both in and out of relationships? Because our goal, our purpose is not to pursue great relationships. Our purpose is to pursue relationships that sing God's beautiful song over the broken noise of our world. That's our goal, to glorify the Lord both in and out of our relationships. That's what we're doing this semester. But this week, we're staying a little bit more broad. I shared with this last week, but God kind of led my prep, led us to this moment where these first two weeks, instead of diving into Song of Songs, which I really want to because I'm super excited, but we're going to be talking about a little bit, step back and look at the overall trajectory, kind of the overall purpose of us as individuals and us as a community, as a church. Last week, we looked at that. This week, we're going to keep looking at it. And I think God's led us to this point because I realize that, man, a lot of you, uh, or at least some of you, are going to be finding a place. Some of you are going to be connecting with a different church here in town. I know some of you, this is your very first time. That means you were probably maybe somewhere else next, last week. Maybe it'll be somewhere new this next week. Some of you, maybe you've come here a couple weeks. You're like, you know, I, I think I'm going to find, uh, I'm going to go try out a different place. And that's cool. And I love that because there are so many great churches here in town. If you wind up finding a, a good place to plug in at, at Antioch or at Central Baptist or Christ United Methodist, or you go to browse fellowship. That's amazing. Those are great places where God is moving, where there is good Christian community. I want that for you. But wherever it is, make it somewhere. Last week we said, make it somewhere where you can be sharing the gospel. Make it somewhere where you have that end goal of being a part of someone else's beginning in children's ministry, in youth ministry, in evangelism, in college ministry. This week, we're looking at it a little bit more broadly. We're looking at, okay, well, with the church that you wind up in, 
I want you to have this filter. I want you to use these principles that we're going to pull out of our scripture. I want you to look at these churches with this certain lens, whether you're, it's going to be a different church or whether it's this church, whether it's at grace. I want you to look at us with this filter of thinking, okay, are they meeting these purposes? Are they pursuing these purposes that scripture lays out for the church? Because our Bible is very clear. There are so many passages that tell us about kind of the goals and purposes of our church. And what's so awesome is that many of those principles and lessons are taught through these fun illustrations, right? These pictures and stories and examples. It's amazing. Our Bible is full of illustrations because that's one of the best ways to communicate. When you use an illustration to make your point, man, it not only, sometimes it, it creates the point, it communicates the idea in fewer words, right? That's why Paul, when he's talking to believers, many times he talks about them being soldiers. Your soldier, like that, right? He says, look, and when he does that, right, he's being efficient with his words. He's saying, I'm going to tell, use this term soldier. It's going to bring to your mind the idea of, you know, we're in a war. There's going to be preparation needed. There's discipline needed. There's a chain of command, right? He immediately brings all these ideas and thoughts and analogies to your mind by using just one word instead of just laying it all out. He says, look, you're a soldier in God's army. You're a soldier. You need armor. You need these things. It's efficient to use illustrations. That's why Aggies, we use that term two percenter, right? When we see that person that maybe left the game before it started, right? I would never say it, but some people might say, hey, you're a two percenter, right? What does that communicate? That you like milk or something. I don't know. I don't know. As one, I never figured it out, right? I don't know. Now we're saying, look, you are a 2%. That means like you only give 2% or something like that. I don't know. It's strange. But we're saying it's an efficient way to communicate. You see, I'm just going to say this one term and it immediately brings all these ideas to your brain. It's efficient to use illustrations. It's also very, very effective. When you use illustrations, it makes the idea oftentimes more memorable. It makes it more sticky in your brain. That's why when James is writing his letter, he writes, he talks about how, look, Let's say there was a guy who was starving. He's got no food. He's got no clothes. He doesn't have a place to live. And then you walk up to him and you're like, hey, go, brother. Be filled and warmed. And then you walk away. James says, if you did that, you're useless. He says, in the same way, your faith without works, it's dead. It's useless. It's like walking up to a guy who's starving and telling him, Oh, may you be filled. And then walking away. He uses an illustration. He uses a story to make that point. Makes it stickier. That's why I open up telling you about this creepy children's book. To try to make it stick. To try to help you remember. Okay, yeah, like there's this loss of purpose. When we lose our purpose, it leads to pictures of little girls staring at our souls. Right? That's what happens. When our church loses its purpose, man, we wind up in a bad place. It makes it a stickier idea. So our Bible uses these illustrations to not only be efficient, but to be effective. And we see many illustrations about what the church is. And I picked out three. I picked out the top three, the most common ones that we see in our scripture. And they communicate some awesome ideas about the purpose of our church. One of the first ones we see is that our church is a bride. That our church is the bride of Christ. That's why Paul in Ephesians 5 says that husbands, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He says Christ loves the church. He gave himself up. He sacrificed himself for this bride. 
says he's done it all so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Paul's saying, look, the church is a bride. And part of that, one of the purposes that is brought to our minds out of that is we should be thankful for our Savior. Thankful for the one that's moved in, that sacrificed himself for us. See, we as a people, we appreciate sacrificial love, right? Like our culture on the whole, like deep down, we know that is the ultimate. Sacrificial love, someone who would sacrifice his life. That's why we have the greatest love stories like Titanic, where the culmination is not this giant ship that's like blowing up and sinking and all that stuff. The culmination of the film is actually when Jack and Rose are out on the water and she's on that door and he's like, well, you got to keep going. I don't know what he says. He says something though, like, keep on keeping on, baby. And Rose says, no, my heart won't go on. He says, your heart will go on. Your heart won't go on, Rose. And everyone in the audience is saying, no, Jack, you can fit on the door. There's enough room for both of you. But he says, no, Rose, go on. And he's gone. And we're like, oh my gosh, yes. Like, we love that. We're drawn to that sacrificial love. The other greatest love story, Avengers. Where Iron Man, where Iron Man says, no aliens, no, you're not going to invade my world. I'm going to take this nuke and I'm going to fly it all the way into space. And we're like, Iron Man, no, don't do it. You have so much to live for. He's like, no, I got to. Your heart will go on. We're like, no, Iron Man. And then he survives anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But he tried. He tried to sacrifice himself. And we see that. And man, that's what we rally around. That's why our stories, they are, they're central on this idea of sacrificial love. Paul says, look, you are a bride. You have a groom who gave himself up for you, who sacrificed his life for your sake. That's our gospel. The fact that we were dead in our trespasses. The fact that we were enemies of God. The fact we were children of wrath. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still turning away from the Lord, denouncing his name, running in the opposite direction, Christ died for you. That all who might believe in him would have eternal life. That's our gospel. That's the central message that we proclaim to the world around us. That's the message that I want you to hear. This is the only time you've been in church in a while or for, even if you've been going to church for a long time, I want you to still hear this message that Jesus Christ died for you because God loves you, because God wants to restore you if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior if you believe in the fact that he lived, died, and rose again on your behalf, if you believe those things, welcome to God's family. We rally around this gospel. We accept it. And then we exclaim it for the world around us because we're so grateful because the purpose of the church is to be so thankful. And as we are thanking the Lord for what he's done, we are also preparing That's why Paul says, look, he's done all this so that the church might be presented to himself in splendor. 
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves perfect, right? There's nothing that we can do to nullify the sin in our lives. But once Christ has saved us, once you have been pulled out of death and into life, once you have been made a new creation in Christ, when you've been bonded with him, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection, when that happens, God says, come, change, move, live, Be different than the world around you. Stand out from the world around you. So we're not only thankful, we're also preparing. We're learning about our Savior. We're spending time with Him. We're making ready. Revelation 19 uses the same kind of language, saying that the church, we are are preparing for our Savior. We've been awaiting His arrival, so we've been preparing ourselves. That's why we have Sunday morning. Whether you come here or go somewhere else, please go somewhere. Go somewhere to worship in community. Somewhere where you're known, where you join a Bible study. That's why we have so many Bible studies. That's why you also had a card uh, on your seat telling you about how you can get connected. Joining a start group, if this is your first time. A grow group, if you've been around a while. A, a serve group, if you want to give in some way. Do loss, if you're a freshman. Life after college, if you're a senior. That's why we have those systems in place so that you can be known in community, preparing yourself for the return of your Savior. That's why those things exist. It's not just because we love to teach. It's because we know that our purpose as a church is to prepare ourselves for our Savior's return. We're thankful. We're preparing. But we're not only a bride. Paul also says that we are, in fact, a body. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He says, all of us, if you are a believer, you have been given the Holy Spirit, a down payment, a guarantee of the eternal life that you will receive. He says, this is what you've been given. We've all been baptized in the spirit. We're in one body now. And this one body, it's not just one member. He says, but it's, it's many. He says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. He says, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And I love this illustration, because it's so strange. <laughs> Paul turns to his audience and says, hey, what if your body was one big ear? <laughs> what would you smell? And they're like, ah, yeah. <laughs> Preacher Paul, right? They're so excited. <laughs> yeah, I know we're here, right? Like, we're getting excited about this <laughs> strange example. But it makes sense. He says, look, if everyone was the same person, if everyone served the same role, if everyone had the same gifts and passions and desires, he says, then we would be worse off. He says, if we were all ears, what would we smell? Someone has to be a nose. That's just the way it is. He says, we need this diversity in our people. We need this diversity in the midst of us because we are the body of Christ and we're moving and we're acting and we are Christ's hands and feet. That's why Christ himself told his disciples in John 14, he says, look, I'm going to go away and that's good for you. He says, because I'm going to give you the spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit will empower you to do greater works than even you've seen me do. 
meaning you're going to have such an impact on so many people in my absence. Be excited about that because you, disciples, my apostles, you are now my hands, you're my feet, you're my body, you're moving and acting. That's why when he left, when Matthew 28, when he's rising up into the clouds, he gives them this great commission. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. He says, I want you to go out. I want you to tell people the things that you've seen. I want you to do the things you've seen me do. I want you to help people get to know me. He doesn't raise up in the clouds and tell them, don't forget to prayer journal, right? Like, that's not his big ultimate point. And say, listen to Chris Tomlin on Saturday, right? He doesn't say that. He says, go, move, act, do, make disciples, preach, baptize, teach, because you're the hands and feet, because you're the body of Christ. And he's our head. That's what we see in scripture. With that analogy, he's our head. And so what he says happens. He calls us to go, so we go. We should be serving. The purpose of the church is not only to sit and be thankful or to sit and prepare. The purpose of the church is also to serve, to act, to do, to move. Whatever church you wind up at, make it somewhere where you can serve. If you're here at Grace, we have a children's ministry that was so thankful for a bunch of you last week. They sent me an email and I was like, hey, it wasn't me. It was them that volunteered. But they had like 10, they had a bunch of volunteers that all volunteered last Sunday. College students, that's awesome. We have a youth ministry that needs leaders. We have a Club 56, it's a fifth and sixth grade ministry. They need leaders on Sunday mornings. Guys in particular. To show up on Sunday mornings and guide these little 11 year olds through scripture. It's a high calling. Serve. Wherever you are, make it somewhere you can serve. We can get plugged in. That's why we have serve groups within our college ministry. Maybe you don't feel as if the Lord has equipped you to serve four-year-olds, right? That's totally cool. I'm with you. They're cool, but not really, you know? So, like, you maybe are called to a different direction. Maybe you can serve in our college ministry. That's why we have serve groups where you can be a part of our connect team, helping people feel welcome, planning our retreat. You can be a part of our uh, community outreach team where you go to different ministries around town, outside of Grace. Serve in some way. Even if you don't join that group, we're going to be announcing these events all year. Come to them. Go with your leader. Grab your friend. Serve. The purpose of the church is not just to be thankful or to prepare. It's to serve. It's to be the body of Christ. But we're not only a bride, we're not only a body, we are also a building. We are building. That's why Paul in Ephesians 2 tells him, look, so then you are no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets says, you've all been brought together, your fellow citizens, your brothers and sisters. Why? Because you're all built on the same foundation that was laid for you by God's people, like the apostles, like the prophets, the people who spoke God's words, who wrote the words in your Bible. So this foundation has been laid by God through these people, but by God. And that's why ultimately Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself is our cornerstone. 
that in him, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul says, look, you are a building, which means you have a purpose of being united. That is one of the purposes of our church, to be united, to recognize the fact that we are not strangers. We're not aliens. The fact that we are fellow citizens, that we are brothers and sisters. That's why we also see uh, illustrations of us being called a family, children of God, because we should be united. But what about when we're not? What about those differences? Right? What about those people that go to that other church and we're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Or what about those people that are in that organization or that parachurch organization and they say these things and they seem to believe that thing and they treat communion that way or they uh, treat singing this way or they raise their hands that much or they do, what, what do we do about those things? What do we do about those differences that pop up in our body? There's differences between you and a Lutheran or an Episcopalian. There are differences. There are differences in the way that this functions. So what do we do about that difference? How do we address that? If we're supposed to be fellow heirs, fellow citizens, how do we, how do we deal with that? When we look in scripture, we see their big difference. One of the very first huge differences in the early church was between Gentiles and Jews. And there was a big difference because the Gentiles and Jews, they had different practices. The Jews had this old Mosaic law. They were following to a T. The Gentiles, they probably hadn't even heard the Mosaic law. And so they were breaking all these different things. One of the really huge ones was circumcision, where the Jews were looking at the Gentiles and they're like, hey, listen, bro, I love that you love God, but the truth is you've got to love him a little bit more and get circumcised. And the Gentiles are like, uh, what? Like they don't, uh, and they're not sure if they want to go down that road. And so there's this big debate that's happening. It's like, okay, well, there's these differences. Like, should they be allowed in our church? Should we eat with them? Like, should we have communion with them? Like, I don't know if that should work that way. And so the apostles had to step in. They stepped in front of the Jerusalem council. I think I talked about this a little bit last week. And they stood up in front of the council and they said, look, there are going to be differences but we've got to pick our battles. James stands up. He says, look, there are things that are ingrained in our traditions, in our law, but ultimately we recognize that the central of everything is Jesus Christ. He's our cornerstone. Were there prophets and apostles that said wonderful things? Absolutely. But Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. You are saved by faith. Everything else is a side issue. So we need to pick which issues we really want to stress. And so James says, let's not make it hard for these Gentiles to turn their hearts towards God. Let's try to ease them in. So what do we do? We drop the circumcision thing. What do we pick up? We say, well, no, but there are parts of the law that we should hold on to. Abstaining from sexual immorality. Let's grab a hold of that. Not eating food that's sacrificed to idols because it was used in pagan worship. Okay, let's, let's grab a hold of that. And so they wrote a letter to the churches. They said, this is what we want to hold to. When you have Gentiles coming into your midst, pick these battles. Don't pick all the battles. Pick a couple of the battles. And you talk about those. Sexual immorality. Food given to idols. Gentiles heard that. Like, no circumcision? Cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Sign me up. Right? They're fine. Because they chose their battles wisely. When we look out and we see differences, I'm telling you, a lot of those differences don't matter. Many of those differences don't matter. Many of those battles don't need to happen. There are certain traditions and differences in our doctrines that don't need to be debated. This was summed up really well 
a long time ago by a guy named Vincent. And Vincent basically made this one statement that everyone loved, and they turned it into a sword. And they said, look, what we believe as the Catholic Church, not just Catholic meaning Roman Catholic, Catholic Church meaning the universal church, the church that we all belong to, that all Christians everywhere, we all belong to one ultimate church. Right? We have little local gatherings of churches, but we also all belong to the ultimate church. He says that ultimate church will believe what, is, what has been believed, what we're going to make, the central truth of who we are, the centrality of our doctrine, of our theology. It's what has been believed everywhere, always, by all. That's the core of who we are. Everywhere, always, by all. It says we can't take away from it, can't contract. We also can't add to it. It may not expand. Even though you really feel really strongly about the way that, you know, lights should be used on stage, we're not going to add that to our central truth, to our central doctrine. This has been summed up by theologians over the years. They're like, okay, well, what exactly are those things? What can we boil it down to? They boiled it down to seven big points. We believe in a triune God. We believe in the depravity that we have as man, the fall, the sin that comes in. We believe in the person and the work of Christ. We believe in salvation by grace through faith. We believe in inspiration and authority of Scripture. We believe that the redeemed humanity will be incorporated into Christ. We believe in the restoration of humanity and creation. That's the central core of who we are. And the early church, they actually hit this stuff, right? They're talking about circumcision, talking about stuff like that. They even decide, okay, well, well what are we going to do, right? Because they have people popping up that are saying things like, oh, Jesus Christ was God made flesh. I am, in fact, the Holy Spirit made flesh. Listen to my words. They had people popping up saying, oh, well, Jesus Christ, he was actually fully spirit. There was a body there, but that was not part of Christ. When they killed the body, they didn't actually kill Christ. His spirit was removed. They had people popping up and they were saying these different things and Christians got together and they're like, man, that, that doesn't, that's not right, right? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't line up. That shouldn't be a part of our everywhere, always by all. That doesn't line up with our core doctrine. And so they came up with things called creeds. At the first ecumenical council, early fourth century, uh, basically that just means a bunch of churches, a bunch of church leaders got together. They're like, okay, what do we, what can we just say, right? Like what's the foundation of who we are? What's central to our belief system? And they came up with the Nicene Creed because they met in Nicaea. And they said, look, this is what we believe. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible. And in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Can you already tell what what was popping up? What they're having to address already? Jesus Christ, he is of the Father. He's not different. He wasn't created. Same substance as the Father. By whom, meaning Jesus, all things were made. Who for us, men, for our salvation, came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered, and the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And in the Holy Ghost. As in, we also believe in that. Okay, okay, well... (laughs) They add, they add more later, okay? So actually then they, about 50 years later, uh, there was another meeting in Constantinople and they're like, okay, we need to add some more stuff. And they're like, okay, fine. And they make it bigger, right? But I picked the, the core, the, the very first one. And so we see this creed. And what did that creed just communicate? It communicated five of these. It didn't talk about grace through faith. And it didn't talk about inspiration and authority of scripture, right? Uh, that's okay. But they had, they had the other five. They talked about the triune God, the, the fall, the need for Christ, the person and work of him. The fact that we're incorporated into him, the restoration that he will come one day again. 
That's why these creeds exist. That's why some people, every single time they show up to church, they recite creeds. I love it. We might do it one day because I think it's awesome. Because you're just stating as a group, this is what's central to who we are. This is the core of what we believe. And if we differ on other things, that's okay. There's going to be tension. Some of you are ears. Some of you are noses. That's okay. Some of you earrings look more natural in you than others. That's okay. We show up. We have one central belief, and then we can talk about the other things, but we don't make it a battle. We're united. We're united as a building built on the foundation. (laughs) And as we're united, we're this. Okay, you might have seen this. This is outside Kyle Field. They opened it. They revealed it on Friday. And this is a brand new statue that's communicating, this is who we are. This is the 12th man. Behold. Right? And it's not only showing our unity, right? As a building, not only are we united, not only is our purpose to be unified, but our other purpose is that we should be a reflection, that we're pointing to something with our unity. We're not just thankful for our God. We're not just preparing for him. We're not just serving him. We're not just united with him. We're also reflecting him to those outside of our community and to those inside our community. We have this statue that shows not only that we're united, but it's pointing to something. This statue's pointing to Texas A&M's love of Red Rover, right? (laughs) Come on over. This is pointing to the fact that we love to the, the, the Aggie spirit, right? This 12 man, this is like, we're all together. We're in it together. We're not just united, but we're united for a cause. We're lining up to sing that song. That's what this is about. That we're pointing ultimately to our love of the Aggie spirit, right? That's why we have that big inspirational video before every football game. Oh, it's going to touchdown. It's going to touchdown, right? Like we have that every week. Because we're pointing to something with our unity. Paul says we should be reflecting. We are a building. We're a temple. The Ephesians knew this. They had a temple in Ephesus that was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. They knew what temples did. They knew that temples were beautiful. Paul says that's what you are, right? He's told them you are a temple. You should be pointing people towards God on the outside. You're outside the stadium. You see what's important. So the way that we respond to sin and to sinners on the outside, the way we respond reflects the God who saved us. Do it with grace and love. As a perp- as our, if our purpose is to be a temple, if our purpose is to reflect the God that saved us, then we should be reflecting that grace and that love when we see the sin, when we see the mistakes, when we see the brokenness outside of our midst. We should be worried about the gospel first. We should worry about their belief before we worry about their behavior. I don't want to hear you say anything about their behavior before you address what they believe in. That's what's central. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. That's what we present to the people outside. It's also what we present to the people inside. When you show up inside of Kyle Field, you're going to see not this statue, but you're going to see people emulating this statue. You're going to see people bonded together, pointing towards that same Aggie spirit. Where everyone's joined together saying, yes, like we're going to back up. I know that's what it says on the outside. It's what we see on the inside as well. We're going to reflect that love of Kyle Field and the love of Aggie spirit. Unless, what? Unless 
You line up in this formation and you forget to uncover. If you didn't see it last night, you will see it. Where some guy, he's probably a visitor, forgets to take his hat off. Or maybe he's an old regular. He forgets to take his hat off. And what do you hear immediately? Uncover! People get so mad. So mad. I saw fights almost start. Legitimately, fights almost start. Because people were like, take her, take her hat off. Oh, ooh. The hat killed my parents. Like, what are you doing? Right? They're just so upset. You're like, what are you doing? Why? Like, why are you so upset when you present to this outside world? You're like, oh man, we love each other. This is so great. But yet you go inside and all of a sudden, if that one person makes that one mistake that you really care about, all grace, all love, it's gone. It's gone. Someone looks at a church, they see, oh, it's a temple to God. Like, oh, great. We can interact with the world around us and with grace and with love. And that's awesome. But then we interact with some other Christians. We talk to a Christian who's in our little local church. We talk with a Christian who's in our Bible study. We talk to a Christian who maybe is at a different church, but still part of the universal church. And how do we act towards them? How do we act towards that sin? How do we act towards those sinners? Because you still sin. I still sin. We're all still sinners, even though we're on the inside. And how do we react to that? Do we still bring grace and love into those interactions? Or does another Christian stand up, make a mistake, make a legitimate mistake? And as soon as that happens, do we pray for them, interact with them with grace and with love? Or do we just stand up and just tear them down, denounce them, get up on whatever platform we have and talk bad about them. As someone who works at a church, I've had so many people ask me, hey, what do you think about, what do you think about this guy or this girl? What do you think about this thing? What do you think about that band? You know what I say? I say, I think people should spend more time praying for them instead of launching missiles at them from a distance. Because what does that show the world around us? We claim to follow a God who loved us when we were unlovable. We followed a God who loved us and saved us when we were his enemies. And yet they see the way we treat each other. When someone makes a mistake, they own up to the mistake. And yet we still just throw them in the mud, trash them, denounce everything they've ever said or done. You kidding me? What kind of unity does that reflect? What kind of God is that reflecting? Paul says when someone is in error, we talk to him. We talk to him about it. We confront him. But we do so in private, first and foremost. We do it in love. We do it with grace, with forgiveness. That's how we interact with each other. That's how we should be interacting with the world. Because that's the way that we reflect the God who saved us. Because that's the purpose of our church. We're going to sing a few more songs. And as we do so, there's going to be some leaders that are going to appear. They're going to be praying for you. And they're going to be praying a couple things for you. Uh, they're going to be praying, uh, first and foremost, that you would connect with a local church. That you would find somewhere here in town, in College Station or Bryan, that you can be known, that embraces its purpose as the bride, as the body, and as the building of Christ. Somewhere that worships both in spirit and in truth. We're going to be praying that for you. That you would find somewhere where you can serve. We're also going to be praying that you would connect with the universal church, with the united church of all believers, that you would lay to rest some of those arguments or or disputes you've had, 
that you'd extend grace and love to the Christians in your life. We're going to be praying that for you as we close. But if you have any special requests, if there's anything specific that we can be praying for you about, if there's any questions you want to get answered, any conversations you want to happen, please come talk with them. There's going to be a few people on either side of the stage. I'll be in the back. Come talk to me. We want you to see the purpose of the church. We want to see your purpose in the church. We want to reflect God who saved us, who made this all possible. So let's go before him right now. Lord, we, we thank you that you saved us, that God, you've given your grace and love to us abundantly. God, we thank you that there's a new year ahead of us. God, with new opportunities. God, we recognize that there's going to be new struggles, that God, there's going to be new problems and issues. But Lord, we thank you that we don't have to be afraid of anything in this world because your son overcame it. God, we thank you that we can go before you in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the leaders who are praying for us right now. God, let us use these last few moments to truly pour out our hearts and our our souls, our minds. Just put it all out on the table for you, God. If you would take a moment, just ask the Lord to convict you, to show you, man, where, where have you lost sight of your purpose? Where have you strayed from your calling to be a part of the bride of Christ, to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of the building? Ask the Lord to just grab a hold of your heart right now, convict you of where you've strayed. Now, if you would take a moment, pray, ask the Lord to to reveal to you where there's opportunity to to find that purpose again. Ask God to guide you towards maybe a a conversation that needs to happen or, or a relationship that needs to be rekindled a spot where grace and love have not existed. Ask the Lord to kind of point your mind, point your heart towards that person or towards that opportunity, towards that service opportunity. Ask God to guide your heart in this time to reveal to you where you can re-find that purpose.